it just is so good to be here to see so many of you that I know for so many years. And I was thinking as the dance team came up, I know you all. And one of the joys is to see that I've watched some of them grow up physically as well as spiritually. What a joy. And you know, I was sitting there and I was thinking, oh, I can tell I'm just getting older because I have such delight as I see people functioning in their gifts. I feel like a mama that says, go ahead, go for it, go for it. And I felt as I sat there that the Lord just sort of said, that's how I feel when I look at my kids. And I see them functioning and, and serving and loving. And I sense that there's just a whole thing out there that is saying, go for it, go for it. Well, um, I had to watch. Today I was um, ministering before the Lord in my own little room. And I was involved in just studying and meditating on the word. And in the middle of my deep meditations, I get a phone call. And my youngest daughter on the other end said, Mom, we got to buy the flowers. And I shook my head. I said, Jen, well, at any rate, my youngest daughter is getting married December 2nd. And so she was all uptight about the fact that we hadn't done a thing about the flowers yet. We hadn't done a thing about the cake yet. And I said, I know, but I'm, I'm busy. And my, my future son-in-law said to me, I have never had to consider planning my marriage around my mother-in-law's schedule. And I went, well, that's it. And as I hung up the phone, I thought to myself, ah, the bride is making herself ready. The bride is making herself ready. And no wonder the Lord has used such a beautiful picture for us to understand something of what is involved in us as the bride of Christ making ourselves ready. I want you to stand with me. We're going to look at the theme and we're going to look at people who have indeed tasted that the Lord is good. We're going to look at their lives and our heart for you. And by the way, it is a delight for me to be once again with Women of the Word and our brother Jim Jackson and the whole team, Lynn and June. And uh, as Betsy works, I said this afternoon that I love Women of the Word. I've worked with them for a good while. And my heart has been, may we truly be women of the Word. May that be a reality, not just a title, but a reality for every one of you that has come. I want you to lift your hands before the Lord. Hallelujah. Lift up your head. I'm so impressed with that. He is the glory and lifter up of our heads. And so, Lord, we lift our heads in your presence. And we would ask that you would take all scales from off our eyes and that we would behold you in a whole fresh way. For it's only in seeing you and beholding you that we are changed at the deepest level of our being. And so we give you thanks and we tell you that we honor you. We honor you. We delight in you. We invite you, Holy Spirit, have your way. We know that without you, we can do nothing. 
And so we welcome your presence and declare that with you we can do all things. And so we give you thanks and we declare blessing over one another. We declare that you will send forth your word tonight and you will bring healing emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally. Send forth your word and bring healing and deliverance in Jesus' name. This is what you died to accomplish. And so we would receive it for the glory of your name and we pray in your name. Amen. 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 Well, you may be seated, and I would like you to open up with me to a familiar passage, but I'm going to run through Hebrews 11 and 12. Now, we, uh, I, I realize that I don't have all night to do this, but I am teaching the book of Hebrews every Tuesday night. For an hour and 15 minutes, we are digging into the book of Hebrews. And I will tell you that the revelation that begins to unfold concerning the glory of who Jesus Christ is, as we begin to see unfolded in the book of Hebrews the glory of his person, that in him and through him everything is created. That in the past, God spoke through the prophets, but in these latter days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he has made heir of all things. And as I was pondering and reading through the first few chapters of Hebrews at one juncture, I just stopped in my little study room and lifted my hands and I said, no wonder, Father, that Jesus said, if you don't praise me, the rocks will cry out because of who you are. And I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will rest upon us in our understanding of him. And so Hebrews unfolds the fact that in the Son is all the fullness of the Godhead. And I want you to look with me now to Hebrews 11. Many of you are absolutely familiar with this. And this is a picture gallery. Our theme is taste and see that the Lord is good. Ta say it with me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Hebrews 11 unfolds for us examples of people who tasted the Lord in their life and in their journey and whose witness is he is good. And we want to learn from that, and then we're going to just conclude with Hebrews 12, and I have a little surprise for you that's connected with that. In Hebrews 11, faith, by the way, is the key to living a godly life. Faith being released to believe and to live in the unseen reality. You know, there is such a cry. There is such a cry, we were talking about it this afternoon, there's such a cry for the supernatural. There's such a cry that our eyes would be opened, and that's why I wanted you to lift your head before the Lord, so that we are not looking down at our circumstances, but we're looking up into his face, and that as we behold him, something begins to happen deep within us. The picture gallery that I want you to look at, and we can't do all of them, but first of all, I want you to look at Enoch. How many of you know Enoch? Look at verses 5 and 6. I'm going to take just some key ones here of people who tasted of the Lord. They know he is good. 
By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I love Enoch. Some of us have the privilege of having spanned. When I came to the Lord in 1951, I was able to tap in to some of the lives of some of God's people that are now in glory. And one of the men that I heard in the 50s was Doug, Dr. A.W. Tozer. Heard him in Gospel Tabernacle. And I was in my late teens at the time, in the late 50s, and he ministered on Enoch, and he ministered on Jacob. I'll never forget it. You know, I read some of his books, The Pursuit After God, and then when I went to hear him, <coughs> excuse me, he was just a scrawny old man. He was just skinny. And, and I looked at him, and when he began to speak, do you know I can tell you what his message was? And it was given in 1958. And I remember he talked about men of faith, women of faith, and he talked about uh, Jacob, who uh, his name means supplanter. He's one of the ones that's referred to even in, in Hebrews 11. And that the Lord had to touch him in his place of strength. And from that point on, he limped in the natural, but ran in the spiritual, ran in the spirit. And then he talked about Enoch. And look what it says concerning Enoch. Enoch didn't experience death. Before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Hallelujah. How many here want that epitaph over your life? that we are known in the portals of heaven, even in the gates of hell, we are known as those who live to please God. And I remember Dr. Toza said he visualizes that Enoch and the Lord just walked together. What's implied in that is a friendship, is an intimacy. Enoch walked with God. He enjoyed the presence of God. And I remember he said that as they were arm in arm, they just continued to walk together. Jesus looked at Enoch and said, you know, son, you're much closer to my home than yours. Why don't you just come home with me? I never forgot that. And you know what was awakened in my heart? The possibility of a relationship with God that was intimate and was a friendship. And then the writer says in verse 6, and I declare it over us, that, and without faith, it is what? Impossible. Tell the person next to you, it's impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe what two things? That he is, and that he is what? A rewarder of those who? And I love the King James because I love the word diligent. Diligent. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if we are going to be known as men and women who please God, what is it that needs to grow and be exploded in our life? Absolutely. Faith. And then in this wonderful picture gallery of faith, 
We, by the way, you know that we were born to enjoy our God. You know that, don't you? We were born not to know about him, but oh my God, we were, we were created to intimately know you and to please you, to delight in you, to enjoy your presence. And then I want you to look at verse 8 through 10. Learning how to live life in the supernatural realm. Abraham, and I'm rather interested in what they say concerning him. Verse 8, by faith Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed even though he did not know where he was going. There's a profound book written by Oswald Chambers that's entitled Not Knowing Whither, written many, many, many years ago. In fact, my husband's testimony is he was in Bible school, and when he came into the baptism of the Spirit, it wasn't one of the things the Bible school believed in. And so they took him, even though he was president of the student body, they took him aside and said, we sense that we need to, and he was a senior at the time, they said, we sense that we need to release you until you get your doctrine straight. And he was almost beside himself because he was so faithful. All he had done was hunger after the Lord, and he was baptized in the Holy Spirit in a place that didn't believe it happened that way. And he said that he went downstairs into one of the libraries just so confused. And what should he do? And he looked on this bookshelf, and there was a book not knowing whither. He said he pulled it out. And you know, some of you may be in that place. Some of you may at times be in a place where you just say, where the Lord says, I want you to obey me, and you say, what? Where? How? And he says, I'm not filling in the details right now. <laughs> obey me, even though you know not where I'm going to take you. That's scary, isn't it? That is so scary. I was so excited when June was sharing about all of this money. And I was, I was sitting there and I thought, oh, if they could only know that where their treasure is, there is their heart. If they could only know that as they invest their finances in kingdom issues, their heart is going to be changed. I, and if they could only know how surprising you are. I mean, I chuckled and I thought, oh, how many times someone's gone three years later to me as well from another side of the room. And it's only something that the Lord and I knew of something I had done years before. And it's almost like he winks. And I thought, how, you know, how can you, you have to experience it. You have to experience that when the Lord speaks, you obey. I have a funny story because um, my husband is very meticulous about finances. Oh, my word. I have to give account. Someone said to me yesterday, uh, do you want this receipt? I said, of course. My husband will ask for it. And they said, oh, really? Well, here. You know? And uh, when I come home, he gets all the receipts. He balances everything. He's got everything in the budget, and he's got all this. Well, at any rate, when we first got married 44 years ago, that was downright annoying to me. I flow through my finances. <laughs> he does not flow through his finances. And so... Uh, when I went to Germany, one of my uncles, uh, who was a real patriarch over our family, he, uh, he wanted to give me a little something. And he said to me, uh, Dorothy, this is just for you. And I thought, oh, I don't have to tell Charles about that. <laughs> this is just, 
He told me it was just for me. And this way, if I want something extra, I don't have to go and ask him for it. And so I put it, I called it my little nest egg, right? And Charles knew nothing about it. And I'm, I was thinking of this, June, when you were sharing your stories. I was sitting in a meeting, and I wasn't even thinking of this nest egg. And as the Lord was beginning to move, the audacity... Clearly, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I want that little nest egg. I went, not in the offering. I still remember where I sat, and this was 25 years ago. I remember where I sat. And you know what? When the Lord asks you, especially for finances, you will have a struggle. I mean, I was thinking, boy, for the first time in our marriage, I can slip a few dollars out of there and not have to ask him about that. I mean, we've learned how to work that out since then. But at any rate, I took a check out and I wrote $400. And my husband looked over my shoulders, over my shoulders, and he said to me, what's the matter with you? What, what are you doing? And I said, I have resources of which you know not. <laughs> oh, and see, the Lord didn't want me to have those resources of which he knew not. But so or we had a real, but you know what? I was thinking about that, and I thought there was such a release that was brought because it was done by faith. And I don't know how many times I've sat in a meeting and the Lord would say, what you get, you better give back. And I go, you know, that's not fair. One time I remember, oh, oh, ladies, I declare a freedom over you in finances, a financial freedom in how you live and how you give and how you spend, that finances are an area of faith that will transform your whole life. And I know when you pinch those pennies, but God doesn't want us to pinch those pennies. He wants us to be women of faith. And that when he speaks, we go, I don't know how you're going to work this out. But I want to be someone who pleases you, and I want faith to arise. And I can remember the time. It, was, it is so precious. You know, these are the secrets that we carry. You build as you journey with the Lord. You have your secrets between the Lord and you that nobody else knows about. And you treasure you treasure those things. And we used to work in northern Minnesota in a place called Camp Dominion, and I mean work. We used to work 14, 15 hours a day. And I cooked and I, I did everything in that camp. I gave my life for that camp. And one, uh, every week, and I, I was doing this for three weeks, and every week we would sit down on the floor and discuss what we were going to give the speakers. And I raised my hand and I said, you know what? I have been working from 5.30 in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. I'd like $100 a week. And of course, we all left because they knew I wasn't going to get $100 a week. So we just left. And I said, well, for three weeks, it should be $300. And we went, ha, ha, ha. Well, I went to a 24-hour women's retreat in Albert Lee, Minnesota, in this little poor farming community. I was thinking about this, June. And at the conclusion of that 24-hour retreat, the precious woman came to me. And she said, Dottie, we haven't ever gotten an offering like this before. And she said, but the Lord said, you're to get $300. <laughs> how, how 
do you communicate that? How do you, when I took that, they had no idea. And I stood there and I wept and I felt the Lord wink. And he said, I heard you. He who sees in secret shall reward you openly. We are going to be women, not only of the word, but that word is going to release faith and bold faith within us. And when the Lord says go, even though we don't know what, and when he says give, even though we don't know how that's all going to work out, we are going to be obedient. He gave not knowing whither. And verse 9 says, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Why? For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, who architect and builder is God. Lord, give us eternal insight. Give us an a perspective of the spiritual realm that will cut our roots to this earthly realm. And it says, by faith, verse 11, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Considered him faithful. And you know, obviously, if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, you know it was a learning process, right? You know that they didn't jump in and way, whoopee, I am now a fully perfected man and woman in faith. In fact, when the word came to Sarah, what word, what did she do? She laughed, you know, and if you know what her first name, her name was Sarai. How many of you know Sarai had to be turned to Sarah? How many of you know what Sarai means? It means nag. Oh, don't tell your husbands that. It means nag. It means contentious one. I suspect that when the Lord got a hold of Sarah, he went, we're going to have to do some work here. I want her to be a woman of faith. And you know what's encouraging about this gallery, this picture gallery of men and women who please God? They didn't start out in perfection. They started out walking the walk, and they fell on their face, and they needed the working of the Lord to bring her. And you know what Sarah means? Her name was changed from Sarai to Sarah, and Sarah is princess. She was made a princess, and that is who you are in the kingdom. And so what is indicative of a princess? Because he considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. When we release faith, we have no idea the ripple effect of that faith that is released. How many of you would have imagined the day you said, come into my life, Lord Jesus? How many of you remember when you first gave your heart to the Lord? You didn't know very much. You didn't know what was ahead of you. But somehow your heart became strangely warmed when you heard that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Somehow something happened in your heart when you heard that he was raised again from the dead and that you were to receive him into your life. And when the scripture says, but as many as received him to them who believed in his name, to them he gave power to become the children of God. You didn't understand all of that, but you said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. 
and he came into your heart and he said, now we're going to go on a journey. How many of you have been on a journey with your God? Huh? And it's a journey of learning how to believe him. And let me declare, yes, the righteous person may fall seven times in this journey. But what does he do? He gets up every time. Enoch, Abraham, Sarah, learning to trust in the faithfulness of the Lord. I shared this afternoon with the gals that uh, my daughter is a little bit beside herself concerning finances right now. In fact, they were given a test and they got 100% on communication and zero on finances. And so my husband said, how can a daughter of mine get zero on finances? <laughs> and so we get a little nervous with the fact that they both got zero on their finances. And she sat with me and we were talking about different things and I said to her, you know, Jenny, it's hard for a generation I said, you have grown up with your needs all met. And you've grown up in a fairly good-sized house. I said, I grew up in a five-room tenement. Five-room tenement with only two windows, one at the end and one at the other end, with a little air shaft in the middle. And I said, so when we got married, and I went into a 10 by 55 trailer house. <gasps> I had windows in my 10 by 55 trailer house. And she said, but mom, that was small. I said, not compared to where I came from. And I said, you're part of a generation that is taking much too much for granted. You have been receiving it, and unless you cultivate that attitude of deep gratitude for what you have, you will always be dissatisfied with your circumstances. And Paul says, I've learned how to be content, both to be abased and to abound. And it's part of the process of faith to say, I will trust you. And I shared with them one of my key things was when we were early married and we were living by faith, what that was all about. I wouldn't even go into all of that, except to say that in northern Minnesota, um, we were living by faith and uh, we had no food in the refrigerator. I was wondering how this faith was working out. And I opened up the refrigerator and we just had company from Ishpeming, Michigan. And we, uh, I fixed breakfast. I used my last egg, my last milk, and uh, served them the flour, and they got pancakes, and I had a little bacon left over. And when they left, I stood in my 10 by 55 trailer house, opened my refrigerator, and there wasn't a blooming thing left. And I said, hello? Would you look in this refrigerator? And I started going to a pity party that we had no finances, that I had my, my BA degree in philosophy, I had a seminary degree, and I had no money. And I didn't know what we were going to do. And as I am bemoaning this, and I'm just sensing the Lord say, can you trust me? And I said, no. I don't know where that is. I don't know how to trust you. But help me to trust you. And so I'm moaning, I'm weeping. And all of a sudden, 20 minutes later, I get a knock on the front door. And it's the people who had just eaten my last egg and my last milk. And he said, uh, Dorothy, Sister Dorothy, we were 20 miles down the road, and the Lord so spoke to me 
that we were to put a check in your hand. I was thinking about that, June. I thought, how do you, how do you communicate? And I stood there, he put a check in my hand, and I said, Father, thank you. And they left, and I stood there crying, and the Lord said, are you learning to trust me? Are you learning that faith will be stretched, that faith will be tested, that faith will at times appear to leave you with egg on your face, but are you learning to depend upon my faithfulness? And the operative word is learning. He has so much to release into this generation, and he says faith is the key. I want you to be women of faith, even as Abraham and so as we look at all of that, Isaac and Jacob, look at verse 20 and 23. Uh, women of faith will impact the generations. Faith impacts children. Faith impacts the generations. And in verse 20, it says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Listen to me. I want you to actively seek the Lord as to how you can bless your children and your grandchildren and your nieces and nephew in regard to their future. Do you see that? That they bless them in regard to their future. You declare over them the blessing of the Lord, the favor of the Lord, the, the uh, prosperity of the Lord, and that faith will be birthed within their hearts. We were called from the uh, daycare where my little four-year-old uh, redheaded grandson is. And one of the ladies said to my daughter, do you know that Hunter speaks in tongues? And she said, I suspected it, but I wasn't sure. She said, I've heard him around the house, and I'm wondering what is he saying? And she said, we asked him to return thanks today. And as he was praying, he started speaking in tongues at the age of four. Can we believe that our children from little on will be filled with the Holy Spirit, that something will get a hold of their hearts, and that they will be filled with faith? And it is as Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Verse 21, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, and he worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt, for he was, what's the next word, those of you that are following along? Because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered. Why? Why? He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. 
I was thinking that when I was converted back in 1951, I was converted with a whole group of young people. Whole group of young people. It was in a time of revival. It was one of the most exciting experiences. And we were all full of fire and we were full of the zeal of the Lord. Out of that whole group, only a few of us are left. And I was thinking, do you ever wonder about the mystery of the human heart? What causes some to begin well, but not to persevere and not to endure? And the whole thrust in Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12 is that we will persevere by seeing him who is invisible. Say, Lord, open my eyes. Say, say with me, Lord, open my eyes. Let me see him who is invisible. By faith, let me see him who is invisible. And so Moses endured. Moses was able to be the man of faith because he saw him who was invisible. And then we go into this whole marvelous thing. Look at verse 32. He says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Verse 33, what did they do? Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised? Who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies? Verse 35, women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Did you catch that litany of those who were men and women of faith? I want you to know that faith will cause us to conquer the enemy, conquer evil, and faith will cause us to endure through impossible situations even when there is not a natural deliverance. Do you see that? It is the same faith that is required. The same faith. And I'm sensing we're moving into a time in the history of the world that we must know that to obey him, I will obey him whether in life or in death. I will not be offended in you, Lord. I will believe you for miracles. I will believe you for healings. But I tell you, Lord, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Huh? Though you slay me, though you are silent, yet I will obey you. I think of how many have been turned away from their faith in the Lord because they perhaps have received a doctrine that when I declare it, it will be mine. Well, I want you to declare it. I want faith to arise, but you need to know what the wind of the Lord is. This is not, faith doesn't come by ritual or rule books. Faith comes as a result of a personal, intimate relationship with him. 
And when he tells you something, you hold on to that. But the shepherd must speak to his sheep. And I declare to you, he is your good shepherd. Honey made statement, my sheep hear my voice. The voice of a stranger they will not follow. And we find that these were men and women who heard from the Lord. They didn't move by rule book or regulations. They moved by the voice of the Spirit deep into their heart. And when the Lord said, it is done. In fact, I was told for a while that as I was seeking on the Lord, that if I asked once, that it was accomplished. And I sh if I asked any more, it was a sign of unbelief. I got all confused. And I went, is that right? If I ask once, then I'm just supposed to praise you. And so I said to the Lord, I, I don't have a witness to that. You know what, Lord? I'm going to pester you. I'm going to be a Holy Ghost pest. And I'm going to pester you on this issue until you yourself tell me it is now enough. And now you will spend the rest of your time praising. See, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of the Lord, to hear what he has to say. I believe God is raising up in this generation a whole other caliber of people. I'll tell you something that happened to me this morning. I was listening to a wonderful tele-evangelist. And really, I really liked them. But I found they were talking about issues of forgiveness, issues of not being offended, uh, issues of not getting all wrapped up in anxiety. And I had an unusual experience. As I, as I watched this, I said to the Lord, are we going around that same mountain again and again? I said, my God, do you have a generation of people who are living in forgiveness? Do you have a generation of people who are not allowing themselves to be ensnared by being offended by something or someone? Is there a generation who is going to go beyond that? Who is going to say, I am here for the kingdom. I am here to seek first the kingdom. To seek first his righteousness. I am here to further the things of the kingdom. And if I get hurt along the way, praise God. I am not going to move down into a realm of pettiness because I tell you we're living in an hour that is requiring us to be men and women who come to God who believe that he is and believe he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and who say, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm at your disposal. I'm yearning to see more and more of the supernatural. It's happening in area after area. But I'm saying, Lord, can you trust us with that? Because sometimes in the past 56 years, and I know Jim has seen this and June has seen this, we don't have the wineskins ready for some of God's supernatural work. And before you know it, it all goes to our head. By the way, are you observing that some of the heroes in this nation are toppling down before us? And I pray that there'll always be a tender heart that there'll always be not criticism, not judgment, but the heart of Nehemiah, who when Nehemiah and Ezra heard the sins of some of the leaders, they came before the Lord and they said, my God, how we have failed you. Not how they, how we have failed you. And I sense increasingly that the Lord is going to raise the bar in the midst of the house for holiness, for purity, and for the fear of the Lord. I, I'm hard on his case. 
I said, Lord, baptize us with the fear of the Lord, which is to hate evil. Give us, Lord, an unction from your heart that we have a pursuit of holiness, because according to Hebrews, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And so as we look at these men and women and see what they did through faith, they conquered kingdoms through faith. They, they were able to prophesy and shut the mouths of lions, but through, faith, through the same faith, Isaiah, they believe, was sawn in half. Through the same faith, many of them were killed and tortured, but they had an eye for the eternal kingdom. Hey, can God trust you and me to be that kind of caliber of faith? That faith is not an entity whereby we try to feed our own selves, but faith is a gift. Faith will be cultivated. Faith is a fruit that will help us to subdue the kingdoms for the glory of Jesus Christ. He is worthy of it. And I want you to look that in light of all of that, look with me to the first word of Hebrews chapter 12. What is the first word of Hebrews 12? Therefore. Say it again. Therefore. What is it therefore? Huh? In light that these are men and women who are witnesses to having tasted of the Lord and who know that he is good. Taste the Lord and know he's good. We have in Hebrews 11 a whole host of men and women who have tasted that the Lord is good. They know that he is good. They've experienced him. I was thinking also when Betsy was talking that this is the Feast of Tabernacles, that uh, what scripture should come to you from the book of John on the Feast of Tab Tabernacles? Hmm? John chapter 7. John chapter 7, it says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, and that is the Feast of Tabernacles. And you know there were certain traditions that were kept with that feast. We are calling to taste and see that the Lord is good. I was looking at them worshiping here, and they were encouraging us to drink. Jesus in John 7 verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood... Two traditions accompanied that feast that are really interesting. One was that there was a tradition to take these water pots and dump them down from the temple steps, and they would just, the water would just come down. They didn't realize what they were all doing in that. And then there was another interesting tradition where the priests would take the willow branches, and they would go in front of the temple with the willow branches, and you know how they would sound? Swish, 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 swish. It would sound like wind as those willow branches went. And on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood to his feet and in a loud voice said, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Are you thirsty, he said? Are you thirsty? Do you see all of this that's going on? If you are thirsty, come to me and drink. For he who believes in me, he who comes to me, he who believes in me, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. The word of the Lord to you is that you are not to be a stagnant fountain but you are to be a fountain of living water. 
and that again and again the Lord is going to put the dynamite of his spirit into your soul to get rid of some of the things that have blocked that river's flow. Let the river flow. Let the river flow. Lift your hand and say, Lord, come to me with the dynamite of your spirit and remove any blockages in the flow of my river. And I come to you and I drink. Yes, and I receive that promise. Let the river flow. Oh, let the river flow. Oh, my God, let us taste of you and see that you are good. And then let us receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and a fire. And then let the river flow. Let us be in line with all of the men and women who of faith who tasted of you, who proved that you were good. And by the way, the scripture says that they died in faith, not having yet received. You know, the whole thrust of Hebrews is that they were waiting for the better. And the better is that whole new covenant. And so the writer of Hebrews, by the way, I think Priscilla wrote Hebrews. Now, they don't know who wrote Hebrews. But my husband and I have this big theological discussion. I said, I think it's Priscilla. We'll see when I get on the other side. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. The word witness in chapter 11 is used five times. These are men and women who are witnessing to a spiritual reality. And the writer says, therefore, now, I need you to work with me. Kim, are you here? Okay, come on. Come up with me. This is Kim Kent. And we're going to visualize something with you. You know what kind of terminology is used here? Therefore, being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I want you to visualize that you are in a grandstand. Because this is the terminology. A race is being run. And who's in this auditorium, who's in this grandstand? How many of you have been to soccer games and football games and uh, 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 these kind of games and you've been in the stadium, huh? Now, who is in this stadium right now? Who's in the stadium? Who? No, 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 no. You always got to cut it in context. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who are we surrounded by? What are their names? Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Noah, Enoch, uh, Jacob, uh, Rahab, all the men and women that have gone on before us are all in the grandstand. Now, I don't exactly know how this all, how much those that have gone behind, that gone before us, how much they're in touch with. All I know is that Paul said, I pray that the whole family of God in heaven and on earth, there's something there with even when we do the reciting of the communion of the saints, there's something there. And, and the writer here says, you are in a stadium. And you know where you and I are? We're not in that stadium. Where are we? We're right on the playing field. Uh-huh. Okay. Here we got a gal, and it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. 
We've got a marathon runner here. But I don't think she's going to get too far. See, she's got weights on her ankle. Weights. Kim, if I told you to run, how far would you get? Not yet? Oh, I know you're trying. But you've got weights on those ankles. And then there's sin that clings. Sin that clings. What are weights? Tell me what weights are. Give me an example. Weights are different from sins. What are weights? They can be worries. They can be distractions. They can be depressions. They can be anxieties. Weights are anything that distracts you from running the race. Anything. Lord, show us the weights. What are the weights in your life, ladies? Because there's a whole gallery, a picture gallery of saints that are in the heavens that are saying, come on, come on. We tasted and saw the Lord was good. We were weary too. We were exhausted too. But we persevered. We endured. And we are not complete without you. Now what about the sin? Oh, sin's clinging all over the place. What are those things that cling onto you? Therefore, being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us throw aside. Well, Kim, you're going to get ready for the race, but you're not going to do it this way. Let's get rid of the weights. Every weight. Come on, there's a race to run. Get rid of it. Every weight. Oh, every weight. And what about what's clinging on to you? The sin once and for all be gone, be gone. But you're not looking. Oh, yes, get rid of it. But where are you looking? Where are you looking? You've got a race to run. You've got a race to run. You've got a race to run. And it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. Are you ready to go? Can you run the race? All of you, you're in the, you're in the galleries. Tell them, run, Kim, run, run, finish it. Yes, run, run, run. Their word to us is, we did it. We did it. We suffered. We fell on our face, but we got up back again. Finish the race. Let us run with endurance. Oh, my God, I can't tell you how that pulsates within me. He says, therefore, being surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, get rid of your weights. If your eyes could be open to penetrate in the spiritual realm, you would see that we are surrounded by angels and we bore them too often. Do you know that? Well, I, I am convinced of that. I was reading that in Bill Johnson's book and I thought, I know that's true. Because the angels are given as servants to the heir of salvation. And we live such risk-free lives that they think, come on, get with it. Kate. You know what? Take a few risks. Be a Holy Ghost risk taker. Get out there. When he speaks, do it. When he says, go, go. Oh, my God. I was blessed today when Abby was saying 
how she ended up in Iraq. And nobody wanted to go to Iraq. They all said, you shouldn't go to Iraq. And the Lord spoke to her and said, you should go to Iraq. And I said to her, you know what? The same thing happened when the Lord told 12, 13 of us to go to Israel when they were blowing up the place. And my husband said, you don't go to Israel when they're blowing up the place. And the Lord said to me, I will, you are to go. And I went, oh, my word. And then when those 12 women came and said, we think we should go with you, I said, no, you're not. I said, I have a barely enough faith to get me there. I don't have enough faith to get you there. And I said, if you want to go, then you raise up all your own support. You get extra so you can leave it there. And you find the word of the Lord for you. All 12 of them came back and said, we're going. What a time that was. I felt we really gave the angels. You know, I'm known for my directions. And uh, I got on one of these trips, I got us lost in Palestinian territories at one o'clock in the morning. There were four women in one little car, and I was the director, and I missed the turn. It was too dark. And they, one thing they had said to us is, don't go near Fula. Don't go near Fula. And all of a sudden, we're seeing signs for Fula. And boy, did we speak in tongues. And, I've, and I remember when we got back, the brothers at 1.30 in the morning said, where were you? We said, we're not sure. We're not sure, but we know. And they said, you, four women and 40 angels. We went, yes. Boy, they had an exciting time tonight. Right? Oh, girls. Angels, minister over your children. We have guardian angels. And I pray they are sent to minister to the heirs of salvation. Therefore, being surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every weight. I want you just to close your eyes for a moment. What are the weights in your life, precious ones? Maybe not sin, but weights, things that just keep you from running the race. And then, oh God, weights are like on our ankles. And then what about those sins? Oh, we got a whole stadium full of men and women of faith who's saying, come on, get rid of those things that would ensnare you. Make choices of life. Father, we ask you right now, deal with the weights. Deal with the sins and set us free to run in this race. Hallelujah. Now just look, one more thing with me. He said, let us run with What's the word? Listen, we need perseverance. Do not grow weary in well-doing, for you shall surely reap if you faint not. Do not grow weary. There is a need for perseverance. How many of you need more perseverance? Endurance. Huh? Get back up again and say, God, work within me. Endurance. Endure. Hardness as a good soldier. We're in the army of the Lord. We're not wimps. Get back up again. My God, let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And now, verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's look at Jesus. What do we see when we look at Jesus? Well, actually, you need to have some understanding of the book of Hebrews because Jesus is better than the angels. He is better than Moses. He is better than any high priest. Look at Jesus. 
And what does it say about him? Looking, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Lord, give us a revelation of who you are. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. See, he's the one that's begun the good work in us. He will bring it to completion. And so we come before him and say, Lord, my faith isn't doing too hot right now, but I yield to you. You who are the author and the finisher of my faith, I yield to you to work this faith within my heart. And then it speaks in terms of who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Ah. Do you know the phrase sat down at the right hand of God is repeated again and again in the book of Hebrews. What is meant by the fact that he sat down at the right hand of God? What does the right hand of God tell us? It is a place of what? Of power, of authority, of dominion. And the fact that he sat down, how many of you know there were no chairs in the tabernacle? Do you know that? Have you ever thought why? The priests could never sit down. You know why? Their work was never finished. So there were no chairs for them. They had to bring sacrifices again and again. But this high priest, who once and for all offered himself as a living sacrifice, was able to go into the presence of the Father, and he sat down because the work is finished. The work is finished for time and eternity. And my faith is not based on any human being. My faith is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? It's sinking sand. Now let me ask you this. It says, who for the joy sat before him. I have a few minutes. Turn me just quickly. I want you to see something. Just quickly turn with me to Matthew 27. In the days to come, and we're almost done. In the days to come, you will have, I declare it over you, an increased revelation of the power of the cross, of the authority that was released through the cross, and you will come to appropriate more and more the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I declare it over you. Ponder some of this. There was a transaction. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, he scorned that cross. He despised he endured the cross, despising its shame. What does that mean, despising its shame? The word, the root word is ignoring it. So he who's hung on the cross is cursed. That wasn't even coincidental for him, was even significant for him. But I want you to see two things. I'm so, this has so gripped me. I want you to see the rebellion of men and the restraint of heaven. In Matthew 27, and we don't have time to go into it all, but I want you to know that in Matthew 27 and 41 and 42, he is mocked, he is scorned, he is spit upon. The utter rebellion of humanity. 
and the restraint of heaven. Do you know he could have called 10,000 angels? Do you know that I am convinced that Michael and Gabriel were up there? Because they didn't fully understand. The scriptures let us know they didn't fully quite understand what was going on with the darling of heaven. And I am sure they were up there. He could have called 10,000 angels. They spit on the darling of heaven. He who created heaven and earth. He who upholds the universe by his very mouth. They spit in his face. And all of heaven is stunned to silence. And if you think that wasn't bad enough, verse 45 says, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I want you to visualize what takes place here. I believe it is at this juncture that Paul's very powerful word is operative, that he was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And I believe that as sin was placed, and whatever that means, he became sin. He was made sin for us. And at that one, at that moment, at that pivotal crisis moment, as he became sin, the father turned his back and opened his arms to us turned his back on his son and opened his arms to us. And then I want you to look at verse 50. And it says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. What did he cry out? It is finished! You know what? I said to the Father, how did you bear seeing this suffering of your son. Father, how did you bear that? And what I see here is the next verse in 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple, 60 feet long and 21 inches wide. When Jesus said, it is finished from top to bottom, rip! And Hebrews says, his flesh was torn, that that veil that separated us from the Holy of Holies would be forever removed. He who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame. And saints, you know what I believe happened? He was the firstborn of many brethren. And he went into the presence of the Lord, of his father, and said, look who I brought with me. Look who I brought with me. Do you know what his joy was? You and me are that joy that made him endure. For he knew when he laid his life down, we would be set free. And the word of the Lord is, therefore, 
being surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses who were waiting for this amazing atonement to take place, the new covenant to be ushered in. Therefore, saints, come on already. Get rid of those weights. Get rid of those sins and run that race. For very shortly, we will see him and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Come and stand with me in the presence of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who is the author and finisher of your faith and my faith. Oh, Father, lift your hands before him. Oh, I tell you, in the name of the Lord, surrender all. Whatever you're going through, whatever broken places there are, it is time to be healed. It is time to run that race. Oh, my God. I ask you to release faith in this house. We look to you to release faith in this house. Lord Jesus, you are sat down at the right hand of the Father, and we say thank you. Oh, thank you. I am reminded that when I heard my husband teach 28 years ago on Jesus being sat down at the right hand of the Father, we were worshiping and said thank you. The work is finished. You are enthroned. All the blessings come from your enthronement. The Lord whispered to me and said, except for one time. And I will treasure that illumination my whole life. All of a sudden, I saw Stephen. How many of you know that when Stephen was stoned, what did he say? I See the Son of Man standing, standing at the right hand of the Father. I remember being in that little northern Minnesota, 50 below zero weather, and going, oh my gosh, what were you doing standing? You're supposed to be sitting. And such a revelation came to my heart. He said, yes, the work was finished. But when I saw what was happening with Stephen, see, you know, why, you know why Jesus died? He died to redeem us. He died to free us. But he died to form his image within us. And I believe when he heard Stephen say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That Jesus leapt from the seat, from that throne seat, and he said, Dad, that's what I died for that I would have men and women of character, men and women who are formed like me. And Stephen's face shone like an angel. And he said, I see the Son of Man standing. And I heard the Lord say, I could hardly wait to get him home. And I believe Stephen, as his body went into death, his spirit was released. And the Son of Man said, well done, good and faithful servant. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! What a Savior! What a Savior! What a Savior! We praise you! 
We worship you. We delight in you. There is none like you, Alpha and Omega. You who once was dead, you are alive forevermore. And now release the power of your word into every heart in this room. Where there is discouragement, Father, we shake it off. We shake it off. And we replace the garment of heaviness with the garments of praise. We replace the spirit of heaviness, Lord, with worship and praise and adoration. And we declare that you are faithful. When you have promised, you will fulfill your promises. So we reach out to you now and we say thank you. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, thank you. I want you to lay hands on the person next to you. Just put your hand on their shoulder and say, Lord, release my sister in faith. Let faith arise. Let faith arise. Let faith arise. Whether it's for your prodigal, your husband, your finances, your health, let faith arise. Oh, we give you thanks, Lord, as we lay hands upon one another. We declare in the name of Jesus Christ that we will live as women of the word and women of faith. Hallelujah. 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 Shake off those weights. Shake them off. Shake off those weights off your ankles. Get rid of them. And all the sin that would cling be done. We are running a race in Jesus' name. God bless you. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Just praise him. What a so great a salvation. So great a salvation. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. He's worthy. Praise the Lord. Bless you. Bless you, Dottie. Thank you. Praise God. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Isn't he so good? Well, I I, I don't think I'm ready to go to bed. I don't know about you, but (laughs) praise God. We want to bless you tonight. We want to speak God's blessing over you, and you're going to sleep well tonight and soundly tonight. God's going to minister to you even as you sleep, and when you wake in the morning, you will be refreshed and renewed and ready to hear more of him, to taste more of him, to see more of him, and to testify that indeed he is good. God bless you tonight, and we'll see you at 8.30 tomorrow.